Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. You know, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, I got good news and bad news. Depends on how you look at it. You are missing out. Every Wednesday night after our live-streamed Bible study, we have fellowship time where we get to actually take, take some time to blow some steam off and enjoy each other's company as Christians who love your God's Word. So that said, if you would like to be a part of these live streams, please email me at very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. We can get you plugged in with a link to where you can find the stream, and uh, hopefully we can get your fellowship as well. Now that said, if you have a Bible handy, I would love it if you have it open to Psalm 1. Every time one of Job's friends speaks, well, they speak from the viewpoint of God's law. One of the reasons Job has been called before an anti-wisdom, as though that were its own genre, is because it counters some of the faulty misconceptions that people have when they are students of God's law, with its eminent thesis, do good to get good, And if you do bad, heaven help you, you are going to receive a lot of bad. But I believe there is no better summary of it outside of that little pithy sentence I made than Psalm 1 itself, which says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Job's friend today in chapter 20, Zophar, is going to speak with an observation that is keenly aligned with Psalm 1. And he's going to point out bad things happening to the wicked. Now, this might seem tone deaf. The 19th chapter of Job, our hero Job speaks more openly, more intimately about his pain. He's confused that his friends are hurting him with these words to the point where in desperation he says in Job 19 verse 21, Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O you my friends. For the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Job is desperate to find out what's God doing. And why are you pointing your fingers at me? When Zophar responds, at first we will be tempted to say this is tone-deaf stupidity on his part. But in a way, we should respect Job's three friends. 
After all, other writers of Holy Scripture respect Job's friends enough to quote them, enough to meditate on what they have to say. St. Paul quotes Eliphaz in 2 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Corinthians, regarding human wisdom and how God confounds it. These are wise men that we do well to pay attention to. And though our Lord does say in the last chapter that they speak dead wrong about Job and about God, they've still got a lot of truth to say. So let's read and then analyze how Zophar the Naamathite answers Job. Hear the word of our Lord from Job chapter 20. Then Zophar the Naamathite answered and said, Therefore my thoughts answer me because of my haste within me. I hear censure that insults me, and out of my understanding a spirit answers me. Do you not know this from of old, since man was placed on earth, that the exulting of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless but for a moment? Though his height mount up to the heavens, and his head reach to the clouds, he will perish forever, like his own dung, those who have seen him will say, where is he? He will fly away like a dream and not be found. He will ch be chased away like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place any more behold him. His children will seek the favor of the poor, and his hands will give back his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, though he hides it under his tongue, though he is loath to let it go and holds it in his mouth, yet his food is turned in his stomach. It is the venom of cobras within him. He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. He will suck the poison of cobras. The tongue of a viper will kill him. He will not look upon the rivers. The streams flowing with honey and curds, he will give back the fruit of his toil and will not swallow it down. From the profit of his trading, he will get no enjoyment. For he has crushed and abandoned the poor. He has seized a house that he did not build. Because he knew no contentment in his belly, he will not let anything in which he delights escape him. There was nothing left after he had eaten. Therefore his prosperity will not endure. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he will be in distress. The hand of everyone in misery will come against him. To fill his belly to the full, God will send his burning anger against him and rain it upon him into his body. He will flee from an iron weapon. A bronze arrow will strike him through. It is drawn forth and comes out of his body. The glittering point comes out of his gallbladder. Terrors come upon him. Utter darkness is laid up for his treasures. A fire, not fanned, will devour him. What is left in his tent will be consumed. The heavens will reveal his iniquity, and the earth will rise up against him. The possessions of his house will be carried away, dragged off in the way of God's wrath. This is the wicked man's portion from God, the heritage decreed for him by God. Now at first, like I said, this sounds a little tone deaf. Job has said, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O you my friends, for the hand of God touched me. 
God has touched me and I have lost everything. I don't even have bodily integrity. Sure, God allowed me to live, but what worth is it that I am left alive? Look at how painful this is. Zophar is no fool. Again, a reminder, these men are quoted elsewhere in Holy Scripture. They're not foolish. Maybe they get some things wrong here to the point where God says, Listen up, bozo, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. But that does not mean that we just discard all of their words and thus accidentally discard all of God's holy law. What I believe Zophar is doing here is trying to comfort Job. Earlier in the book of Job, Job speaks saying, listen, how come the wicked are doing just fine? Why are they happy? Why am I miserable when I didn't do anything to deserve this? Zophar wants to bring this comfort to Job. What are all three of the friends saying? They're saying, listen, you sinned. I don't know what you did, but God is just. At some point, you must have done something and God is trying to get your attention. But they've also told him, you can repent. You can turn to God before it's too late. He will have mercy on you. Eliphaz's first speech to Job says, go to God. He tries to give him both law and gospel at first. Job responds stubbornly. A better way of putting it is steadfastly to the point where his friends lose patience with him over time. But Zophar, having paused, decides to explain himself a little bit. In verse 2 he says, Therefore my thoughts answer me, because of my haste within me. I hear censure that insults me, and out of my understanding a spirit answers me. What has Job been saying as he becomes more frustrated with his friends? Well, he says, listen, miserable comforters are you all. Windy words, do they even have an end? Oh, clearly, you're the wisest of the wise. I'm sure when you die, wisdom dies with you. Job has responded sarcastically. Job has responded in ways that Zophar is saying, listen, you're deriding all of our qualifications. But we're learned men here. We're only speaking out of our frustration, Job, because you're insulting us. Now he changes tone a little bit. Do you not know this from of old, since man was placed on earth, that the exulting of the wicked is short? In the joy of the godless, but for a moment. Listen, Job, you know that God is just. You worship the just God. You're alive. The wicked can't say that. If this was God judging you to the point of death because of your sin, don't you think if you were a wicked man you would have died? Don't you know that that's just not how God operates with men like you? He's giving you a chance. So he says in verse 6, Though his height 
mount up to the heavens and his head reach to the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? Now, dung, what did they do with it back then? They either buried it or they burned it. Oftentimes with manure in the ancient Near East, that was a fuel for various fires. Cow dung especially dries up. It becomes this hockey puck of cow poop and you can burn it. And when you burn it, all the chemicals in it and all of its dryness at that point helps to get a good fire going. On the one hand, Zophar is saying, yeah, the wicked are buried but the wicked are also burned. And you don't see them anymore. There is judgment. This is in line with scripture. After all, what happens to Dives or the rich man who ignored Lazarus in Luke 16? Christ speaks of him burning. He's got such fire that all he asks for is somebody to dip his finger in water and splash Dives' tongue with water so he can have the tiniest, smallest bit of relief from the just punishment of his wickedness. Tophar speaks truthfully, that is the ultimate fate of the wicked. They die. Is Job dead? He is not. And he's aware of this. So he says in verse 8, He will fly away like a dream and not be found. He will be chased away like a vision of the night. Job hasn't moved for seven days. He sat there in the dirt, in sackcloth, scraping at his blisters. Job isn't dead. He's not forgotten. And God knows that with the way that they are speaking, these are immortal words that will be in Scripture forever. It seems that there is an awareness that Job will never be forgotten. So he can't be in this camp of the wicked. Something else, some different dynamic must be going on. Verse 9, he says, The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place any more behold him. Job just said in chapter 19, I'm going to behold God with my own eyes. Zophar is not denying that. <laughs> but he is saying, the eyes that see the wicked aren't going to be seeing the wicked anymore at some point. And this includes God, the watcher of man. That's a title given to God in the book of Job. So his children will seek the favor of the poor and his hands will give back his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust. Job cannot say that his children are going to seek the favor of the poor. Why? Because all of Job's children are dead. It is not fair for us to say that in this moment Zophar is pointing his finger at Job and saying, Sinner, sinner, sinner. To the contrary, he's describing somebody else. Something of a salutary warning for Job. And maybe we could count this as an attempt at comfort saying, You're not these guys. Yet. You can decide to turn away from that, Job. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, verse 12. Though he hides it under his tongue, though he is loath to let it go and holds it in his mouth, yet his food is turned in his stomach. 
It is the venom of cobras within him. He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. Job had a reputation of being a righteous man who was not getting his riches through theft. He wasn't swallowing down riches. He was making sacrifices every morning for his children. He will suck the poison of cobras. The tongue of a viper will kill him. He will not look upon the rivers, the streams flowing with honey and curds. He will give back the fruit of his toil and will not swallow it down. Isn't it interesting in verse 17 he mentions, he will not look upon the rivers, the streams flowing with honey and curds. What's the promised land called? It's the land of milk and honey. It's the land of plenty and nourishment. I wonder whether or not Moses had this in mind when milk and honey are mentioned regarding the land of Israel, the promised land, saying that well, what Zophar was describing, the children of Israel will be entering by the grace of our Lord who delivered us in the Exodus. But that's just a thought. I digress. What is the point of what Zophar is saying? He's saying God is just on the one hand. There is wrath for the wicked. Nobody questions this. Come on, Job. You know that God destroys the wicked. But I'm going to give you all these examples that don't really apply to you. Something else is going on here, and I think God is calling you to repentance. He still loves you. He still cares for you. There's just something in there that you need to confess. There's something here for you to do. But you don't have to be like these guys. You were saying that God is perverting justice, or at the very least you were implying it. But it seems to me he's being pretty merciful on your end, isn't he? So he says in verse 18, He will give back the fruit of his toil and will not swallow it down. From the profit of his trading he will get no enjoyment. Job hasn't been working. He's been sitting there in the dirt. He's not trading anything. He has nothing to trade. Verse 19, he has crushed and abandoned the poor. He has seized a house that he did not build. The prophets will jump on this verse, speaking against the social injustice of ancient Israel and ancient Judah. How, yes, the poor were trampled on. The children of Israel were beleaguered and overworked, and they were not paid fairly. Many of them were taken in as slaves, and there was no year of jubilee for them to be released. Because he knew no contentment in his belly, he will not let anything in which he delights escape him. There was nothing left after he had eaten, therefore his prosperity will not endure. Job, you see them in prosperity and you're thinking this is some knock against God based on what you're seeing in this moment. But don't you know that the wicked are like the flower of the field? They're like the grass. It shoots up one day and the next day it's burned, dead, gone. Come on, Job. Don't, haven't you read the Bible? And the Bible does teach this. Asaph records it in the Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 70 or 72, where he says, yeah, it looks like the wicked prosper in this earth. 
but it's not forever. They don't get this forever. They might have what looks to be an easy life with all sorts of perks, but it's short-lived, especially when you think about it in eternity. Do they really have happiness and rewards for all eternity? Perish the thought. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he will be in distress. Even if he has a lot, he has a little. The hand of everyone's misery will come against him. Somebody's going to get vengeance against this guy. A good example of this, by the way, the hand of misery, the hand of everyone in misery will come against him. Have you all heard of Madeline O'Hare? At one point, the most hated woman in the United States of America. She established a group called the Atheists of America. She sued the pants off of all sorts of state and federal government bodies, trying to get God kicked out of the social square. Didn't want God visible. She hated God. Do you know what happened to Madeline O'Hare? She was murdered by an atheist. Not by a vengeful Christian. Although I'm sure many Christians were absolutely tempted to take some sort of sinful action against her for what she was doing, but to the contrary, the Christians in her life treated her with much more grace and forgiveness than she deserved, quite frankly. But just as Zophar describes here, Madeline O'Hare caused misery even to her own employees, and when she wrote a hit piece against her own typist in Atheists of America, her typist decided to, decided to uh, kidnap her, rob her of all of her money, and then slaughter her like a pig. What Zophar describes does happen. He's not wrong. To fill his belly to the full, God will send his burning anger against him, and rain it upon him into his body. God does this all the time to the wicked. He will flee from an iron weapon. A bronze arrow will strike him through. It is drawn forth and comes out of his body. The glittering point comes out of his gall bladder. An interesting parallel to this is when King Solomon describes the man taken in by the seductress. He says, oh yeah, he will follow the, the wicked woman foolishness, right? The, the wicked woman as a personified vision of foolishness. Well, let's read here from Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces his liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. The wicked are foolish, and at some point, like an arrow going through a stag, they're going to be shot through by the consequences of their own actions their own foolish following after wickedness. Job, that hasn't happened to you yet. If you've sinned, you can repent. You have a golden opportunity here to turn things around so you are not killed like these wicked men. Utter darkness is laid up for his treasures. A fire not fanned will devour him. What is left in his tent will be consumed. The heavens will reveal his iniquity. The earth will rise up against him. It's going to reveal his iniquity. Even if he has a good name, it's going to be tarnished. It doesn't matter what kind of reputation he has. 
Eventually, the court of public opinion turns against scoundrels. The possessions of his house will be carried away, dragged off in the day of God's wrath. This is the wicked man's portion from God, the heritage decreed for him by God. Wicked people don't have a future. What Zophar says is absolutely correct. Those who die in impenitent sin are going to burn in hell for all eternity. Those who do not trust in our Lord for salvation are going to burn. And even in this life, because God has the law with its first use, a curb against evil, authorities are going to be doing their best to establish justice against the wicked. Provided, of course, and we should pray for such reforms, that the state does its job and actually does punish the wicked. So that said, Zophar said a lot of stuff here that is 100% correct isn't he? The Bible will quote him, and will refer back to him. The Bible will say that these are wise words. But does it apply to Job? Is this pertinent to Job's situation? No, it is not. And God rebukes Zophar for speaking these words, however technically correct they may be, speaking them to the wrong man, at the wrong time, in the wrong situation. But while Zophar may be attempting to comfort his friend Job, to have mercy on him as Job has requested, we will see next week how Job interprets that and does he rebuff Zophar in the discussion of justice, or does he tweak a little bit of what Zophar says? We'll find out next week. Tune in. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.